Hey guys, welcome to the sixth episode of A Leg Up. My name's Adam Faze, and on today's episode, I'll be talking with Mark Duplass, Jay Duplass, and Steve Zissis, the team behind HBO's show Togetherness. It's a funny interview, and they have some incredible advice to give, so without further ado, here's what they had to say. I, uh, you have great vocal projection. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You look great. Thank you. A lot of You're confidence. You're confident. Well-dressed. This whole situation. It's a, it's a whole thing I'm going for. It's disturbingly really handsome. Yep. Now, <laughs> I'm getting the sense, and tell me if I'm wrong, that you were raised by parents who basically gave you the message... You are unbelievable, and if you set your mind to it, you can do anything. Uh, I was raised with the message that I should go to school to be an engineer, okay. and that film is kind of a waste. But uh, besides and that, that, and here, that you are. Yep, and here you are. Here I am. So That's all we needed. By the way, they did that on purpose. Yeah. They knew they would <laughs> Reverse psychology, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is you guys went to a Jesuit high school, and I went to a Jesuit high school in downtown LA. Well, this is oh. what we're sensing. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of a bond here. Yeah. This is what yeah. we're sensing. <laughs> Loyola, yeah, a man yeah. who was able to come forward with confidence That's the to a school hotel I was room. Telling you about uh, that, Sam will probably go to. Wow. Oh, he should. My have kid to go. goes to. Uh, uh, well, he will go to a Catholic high school, uh, junior school in Pasadena. Oh, okay. So, Are you familiar with the acronym AMDT? Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But it's funny because the, the school actually had no film program whatsoever. But nor did ours. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's pretty standard. Yeah. Did you do film and TV? That little little thing. <laughs> that was like a little side. Thing. Our electives were like Greek and Latin. Yeah. Or. French or Spanish. What would you like to have fun with? Greek or Latin? <laughs> yeah. Ancient Greek. But, but some were the guys, were they in your class that did the Odyssey movie? That was um, the guys younger, one year younger, okay. Mike okay. Harris and them. Okay. Yeah. So when you guys were at high school, um, I know, Steve, you acted. Um, and did you guys do film stuff or was it kind of just... We were sports kids oh, really? and musicians. Sports and music. Yeah. yeah. Like there were, there was a, the plays were really big at our yeah. school. And Steve, when Steve did Godspell, it was big. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was big. He was. He was a golden guy. <laughs> he was beautiful and impressive. The he had a hairy chest and a hairy back. <laughs> oh gosh. And and we were all just sat in the eight hundred person auditorium and looked at him and, and we're just like copiously. How long is it going to take him to become president of the world? Will it be two years? Will it be eighteen months? Man. And Jay and I were playing music and we had like our parents' video camera and we'd make like really weird self indulgent videos of us just like running around the streets with our shirts off like <laughs> set to like um Christopher Cross songs um uh, sailing yeah sure <laughs> well yeah. ride like the wind <laughs> um but none of this coalesced until much later so when you guys were applying to school I mean you went to Tish right uh I actually didn't go to oh, Tish okay. I went to NYU because okay. I didn't Kind of like the message your parents gave you. Yeah. I was like, acting is it's not a realistic thing. Yeah. to make a career out of that. So I just did like liberal arts at right. NYU. But I acted Super in, realistic. Yeah. Totally <laughs> uh, but I was acting in plays at NYU, though. Okay. So I was like cheating on yeah. my whatever my faulty logic was at the time. And you think going to NYU gave you a better insight into acting? Or... Do you think it doesn't really didn't really 
matter? Uh, I think being in New York City, yeah. eight, when you're 18 years old and going to see theater, going to see like amazing plays and t- soaking in the culture, it's just, it can't be beat no matter what kind of artist right. you are, want to be, or don't even know you're going to be. So NYU, more than anything, is about its location. Right. That's just, that's my view on it. Right. Come in. <laughs> is it already over? Uh, but when you guys were applying to school, so it just wasn't really ever... No, it was never... Our only model of how to be an artist was we're musicians, and we make this joke about how like we wanted to be a 55-year-old black man because that's what that's what a successful artist was <laughs> in our world. Yeah. You know, it's like Aaron a, Neville. Aaron Neville. Like, you be black and cool as shit and you <laughs> tour Europe and then you come back to New Orleans and you make your art and then you go back and do it right. again. We did not have angelic falsettos. No, so we didn't. We no, we not. And we didn't look that cool. Um, and But we, I mean, honestly, we went to University of Texas because we got scholarships. Mm. You know, we were like Jesuit boys who like, we're just making good on our high school educations and got scholarships. And we did, I would say there was an awareness of the music scene in Austin. It seemed like a continuation of what we wanted to do because we were in bands right. and that's what we were doing at the time. Now, we we always loved movies. We are like raised on HBO. But even like with the theater scene at our high school, uh, uh, not no negativity to Steve but like in general we were like put off by mm. theater right? and by it didn't seem to have anything in common with what we cherished and valued right. in films it just seemed to, it just films were piped in over this pipeline and then there's like annoying theater people who were like right. doing like Godspell no I mean <laughs> like we could appreciate it from afar but it didn't right. it just wasn't connected to the things that we were Circling and trying to make, but it's like very subtle clear, humor and relationships. We didn't understand any of this stuff yet. Right. We blossomed yeah. much later as artists. You know, we floundered around in Austin, and and by osmosis, like Richard Linklater and Robert Rodriguez and right. these independent artists started to rub off on us. Quite frankly, mostly out of sense of like, well, DIY is your only option. Right. We have no connections, so that's just kind of how we came up. And so what point did film start being a part of your trajectory? I mean, it was a, I went to college in Austin in 1991, and Mark would visit me literally like once a month, and he would come and live with me in summers while I was there. And, um, and we, I mean, I would say like the first big aha moment was like seeing Slacker, which was like a weird piece of art, almost document of what, Right. our lives were like living in Austin in 1991 the movie came out the same year that I went to college there and it was reflective of life as we knew it and uh, more importantly Rick Linklater was out and about in town and yeah. we would like see him and he looked and felt like us and it was like oh people make movies mm-hmm. people like us made a movie R- R- Robert Rodriguez was there at the time too and um, you know I think we it kind of like reinvigorated our desire to make something, to make movies, um, and that's really where it was born. Yeah, because it was really, I mean, there, there was no model for it growing up in New Orleans. There was no, no one no. to look to. No. 
No, you know. not at all. Anything acting really. or no, it's just no. just music. We That's had it. we had a View and Brew Theater called Movie Pictures, P I T C H E R S, that showed second run art house movies with shitty couches and crappy beer, and they didn't cart us. So like, when we were fifteen, we could go see those movies, mm-hmm. and so we were discovering art films and know that they were being made and had appreciation yeah. with the access to make. Come in. Was, we were just clueless. What's going on? Hey guys, do you want to come in? <laughs> We're doing a podcast. Float. <laughs> Let's just leave him alone. <laughs> um, so right now, um, <laughs> no, what I was gonna say though is that there's so many mediums now to get content out, and like the the game has changed so much, and that anyone can make a movie. But at the same time, like there's so many mediums out there that it's harder to actually have someone like latch on to your content, you know, now there's YouTube, Vimeo, I mean, there's just a bunch of ways to get it out. So what do you think is the way to uh, get content out now? You just make a great piece of art. That's the hardest thing to do, but when you do it, you don't have to worry about the medium. The medium will take care of itself. I mean, we, our whole lives, we just wanted to get our movies into a film festival. It didn't really happen until I was 29 years old. Mark was probably 26. We went to our when we went to Sundance for the first time with a three dollar short film. And what we learned at that point is the answer to every question at a film festival is make a good movie. There, because everyone wants to know how do you do this? How do you get people in your movie? How do you do that? How do you get money? Make a good movie is the answer. And now you don't need. You can make a great movie on your iPhone. Yeah. And if you do that. And if you make a great film that hasn't been done before, and people will see it, and they will, you might not get a hundred million dollar theatrical release, but they will, you will move to the next level, and you will make something slightly bigger, with a slightly bigger audience, and if you continue to make good things, that's all it is. Everything else is just details. Where do you guys see the business going from here? Because obviously you guys are working with Netflix now and, Mm -hmm. you know, just in the past five years, I think the whole business has changed dramatically. So what do you think five years from now it's going to look like? Is it just going to be, you know, the only movies that go in the theaters are going to be Star Wars and, you know, Matrix, whatever it is. And then at home you watch like original programming, HBO, Netflix, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that it's very hard to predict where things are going. And and we like to just kind of like shuck and jive a little bit with the trends and do our thing. But um, I think that one thing is very, very certain is that um, the more things that you can make on your own cheaply and that you can own, um, the better off you're going to be. Because I think that we are headed into a space where there are going to be uh, less companies and bigger companies making things. And I think you want to be thinking as an artist about how can I control my stuff, make a ton of stuff that feels like me, make it cheaply, own it, so that 30 years from now I own, oh man, I made five independent TV shows, I made 20 independent films, I now have this package of stuff that I own. And that will be very, very valuable. And like Steve, you going to NYU and you guys have having having gone to UT Austin. I mean, it wasn't film school, but now having the insight that you do, do you think film school is a good way to get into the industry, or is it just kind of film school is film school? You know, it sort of depends on the on the kid and yeah, the person. person. I mean, like yeah. some people really thrive in that structured environment and that little <clears throat> hotbed of support, and they need that. 
I actually don't thrive in that environment that well, but I needed it for a different reason, which was I needed a little something to like rebel against. I needed to have my schoolwork calling me and have me being like, fuck you, I want to write my songs. And that was really helpful mm. for me. Some people can't handle any structure whatsoever, you know, so. Whatever makes you make art and consistently consistently and not overthink it is the best thing for you. If you need a teacher to force you to make it, great. If you if you need to be away from school in order to make it, that's even better because then you don't have to spend the money yeah, right. on school. We, we do try to recommend a minor in either Spanish or Mandarin right. <laughs> so that you can be temping between the ages of 22 and 28 when you're figuring out who you are and making a decent living. And sometimes the, the best thing about school is just your schoolmates. It's just making friends that are doing the same thing you're doing or wanting to do the same thing that you're doing <clears throat> and feeling the support of that. Um, I, I don't... That community. Yeah, that community. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. Do you think a degree is necessary at all? Um, like besides the community thing, do you think it, in today's world to be in the industry, is it like a degree something you, you, you need just to get your foot in the door or is it no. it's still the same? No, it's just, the the, the paper doesn't, doesn't really doesn't mean that mean much anything. unless you're going to be teaching, you know, obviously. Um, no, it's just a question of whether the process is helpful for you or not. And we're not convinced that one is empirically better than the other. It's just really a question of what you need to, to make your stuff. That's if you're going to make art, but <clears throat> even if you're going to be working in the studio system, it's like I don't really see how a degree is going to help you other than nobody cares. maybe about that. being an alumnus of a place will get you into a couple of interviews mm -hmm. that you might not get otherwise. Hardly worth four years and yeah. $200,000. Yeah, NYU is like $75,000 a year now. What? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> um, so how did the whole HBO show come about? Well, we'd had a long relationship with those guys, and we really liked them, and they liked us, and we talked about doing shows for a long time. And then there was this idea uh, that Steve had, and that we had talked for a long time about, like, let's build the fucking perfect show for Steve. And he kind of came up with this idea of like this character who's single and this character who hasn't found his traction yet. It was semi-autobiographical, which we loved. And then we brought that to HBO and then we ended up fleshing it into this sort of four-hander, which the show eventually became, um, which was a cool growth process for us because as much as we feel confident about what makes a really good movie, we didn't really know how to make a good television show uh, structurally and so HBO was a really nice partner not only being supportive to financially make the show but creatively they were a part of helping us curate what could become something that was creatively sustainable yeah um, and is there ever anything I mean obviously because you guys are working with Netflix and HBO and they're becoming more and more competitive I mean mm -hmm. you know both crossing each other's territory um, is it ever a thing that Either Netflix or HBO brings up to you guys. It's like you plus know. Jay's acting on Amazon. Too. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Right. It was right. all and Mark yeah. was on. <laughs> so it's like every com shows. competitor. Yeah. Steve's writing for Disney. <laughs> I'm, 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 right. I'm working for Disney right now. It's like having divorced parents, except there's like eight of them. Yeah. yeah. And like, and then, is your dad giving you chocolate before bedtime? And then when you're walking, when you're saying goodbye to one, your divorced parent, they slip you like a hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and be like, that's really sweet, but mom gave me two hundred, just so you know. Um, 
everyone is very aware of the environment. Everyone is uh, definitely feeling more competitive than ever before, and I think it's because of the glut of content. Yeah. And everybody's a little scared what's going to happen to viewership, you know. Um, but places like HBO, Netflix, Amazon, uh, whatever they might feel, they're they're smart enough to know um, that like keeping it uh, positive, at least with us, is probably the best approach. Um, I want to go back to Sundance really quickly because you know I'm not sure when you guys got the first short film and how many like submissions there were and how many they accepted, but now mm -hmm. it's like. I mean, I think they accept. They, I think they got something like ten thousand submissions, yeah, and you know, so they nice. accept this many. So, um, is there another place that like is going to be the next Sundance, or is it kind of just like Sundance is going to keep taking more submissions, and it's just going to get more and more well, competitive in the field? I mean, when we were younger, there only was yeah. Sundance, and I mean, you know, I I've been living in Austin since nineteen ninety one, and South by Southwest was a thing, but it was just like. Just a well, place to show a movie. Yeah. That's and Toronto and Sundance were markets when we came in. That's right. Those yeah. three were the markets. And now there's, I mean, the industry, yeah. they may not buy at yeah. all festivals, but it is, you can show at so many festivals now. And, you know, Tribeca and South by Southwest in particular in the last 10 years is like a place to really um, be able to like launch a career. So as like the content grows and the space grows, you know, you can definitely. Now I still think most of the films are being sold out of Cannes and Berlin and Toronto right. and, and Sundance, you know. But um, if your movie doesn't get into Sundance, it's not the end of the road. Your movie. I mean, we had a friend, John Bryan from Austin, who um, he made this incredible short film and. Um, I think it showed at the Palm Springs okay. Film Festival, and one of the Sundance programmers was at the Palm Springs mm -hmm. Film Festival, and he went to him and he said, don't show it again, we can show your film, if it's a second, if it's only the second viewing, we're gonna, I want to take it to Sundance this year. Anything can happen, and it's the perfect example of what we were talking about before, where like, if you make something great, um, it's going to get in the world, and you're going to get a chance to make something else, you're gonna get a chance to see it, to, to have it be seen. Similarly, like just putting stuff online, I really do believe if you make something great and you put it on YouTube, it'll get traction. I mean, if it doesn't get traction, it's not great. <laughs> That's it, it's mm -hmm. that simple. Because everyone wants to watch great things. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to be entertained. And I'm not saying it's gonna get a million hits. Yeah. But like if you make something- A consistent audience. And it's in your, and your classmates like it, so maybe you get 300 hits out of your high school, and then it like spreads out. If it if other people are relating to it and appreciating it, it's going to spread further. And you know, um, and and then the next time you make something, maybe it's a little tiny web show. And the next episode that you make, if it's as good and it's continuing to expand and explore that material, you'll get more and more hits, and then you'll get a following, and then eventually you can turn that into something. For people my age, do you guys think, if they want to be in the industry, the entertainment industry, do you think it's better for them to want to aim for TV now um, versus like trying to go in the studio system and make like big budget movies? Because you think that's just like going to shrink to a smaller and smaller amount of people behind these films? So do you think it's just like more productive for them to be in TV? Or do you think it's, it's, there's always still going to be an open door for the film industry, an open door for TV? I think that, you know... People your age, we're okay. No, thank, thank you. you. 
Dude, this is insane. It's so good, dude. Now we know why we need PR people. Yeah. It's really incredible. We need somebody to stand yeah. this fucking door. I think it, you should do press at a Motel 6 because there's less staff <laughs> that's going to come in to help you. Um, you know, I, I, with all due respect, I think that it's not a good thing to be thinking about at 18 years old, whether I should go into TV because I have a better chance of getting traction or go into movies because right. of that. I really recommend it. This is just our personal experience. Um, is is trying to make tiny, tiny things with your friends the most inspired thing that you can imagine that represents your voice right. um, and then following that bliss. It is certainly a lot easier to make short films on your own to have that kind of agency. So I like that form for people to start. And then the next form is a very, very short cheap feature you know that that 80 minute feature that hopefully you can get in somewhere it's harder to come up with a television show that you can make a whole season of independently and get out there right so you know some people have luck just like coming out of nowhere going with a great pitch their uncle's cousin happens to have a friend at warner's tv they pitch it they sell it i've heard that story but it almost never happens so all, we recommend another path. All filmmakers make tons of small things that suck until they figure yeah. it out, and then they get a movie in Sundance. That's pretty much how it always works. But you don't um, need to be in Sundance anymore to sell your movie yeah. because of the glut of content. Niche stuff um, works very well now. You don't have to have a well-rounded four-quadrant movie to be successful out of Sundance. You can make a movie that's really interesting, that's about something very, very, very specific, and maybe it only premiered at a, at a sort of second tier film festival but you know if uh, a place like iTunes sees that like you know what this niche documentary while it has a small audience has an audience and we'll support it and splash it on our page and you can self-release that thing and you can do well so there's lots of different avenues um, what are your writing tips especially when you hit write it, writer's block I don't know if that knows it somebody's coming oh. in quantity just quantity, just um, write a lot, <clears throat> don't analyze it too much, give it to your friends, and ask them how you can make it better, and listen to them. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that's really, yeah. it's, it's like, I think the hardest thing about writing is you, it's an easy format to, to s destroy yourself yeah. up within, you know, it's like you, you write a page, and then you question that page, and you rewrite the page, just try and like, know what your story is before you write and then just write it and try not to analyze it. I mean, it still pains us deeply to write the first draft of anything yeah. that we write. We hate it. It's disgusting. You're embarrassed. It sucks. And the, the job is not to write a great first draft. Right. The job is to barf up some, some sad version of what it will eventually be. Yeah. And just knowing that um, and allowing, you know, being forgiving of yourself in that process is a huge, is, that's, that's what's allowed us to make a lot of things. I also recommend that writers take the movies that are like, um, that feel the most like them, not necessarily their favorite movies, but the most akin to their voice, and watch those movies like 40 to 50 times so that you truly understand the intrinsic nature of how a specific movie is plotted. Because when your body and your subconscious starts to understand that, it makes you a very good writer. I accidentally just sat in front of HBO and watched all my favorite movies like that. I didn't do it on purpose. It was very, very useful to me. 
to just watch them over and over and over again and getting subconscious um, structure into your brain and your body is, is very helpful. Yeah, because there's a real big distinction between ideas and scenes. And most young writers or writers starting out are obsessed with ideas. Mm. And it takes a long time to beat those fucking ideas out of you and just write good scenes. Because if you just have ideas, then what you end up doing is writing a bunch of, a bunch of things that aren't great scenes. And so just like Mark is talking about, like it's a subconscious unfolding of like story. And I think that's the thing is like getting out of the concept realm and into the craft of storytelling. Every scene needs a little game. Every scene needs a little something, you know. Like, oh, I see what this is. He's insecure about what's going on with his hair because this guy has a ton of hair, and she doesn't know what's happening between either of them. Great, that's a game. I can play this. Here's three pages I can make work. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to catch togetherness on HBO this Sunday, February 21st at 10.30 p.m. for an all-new season. Next week's episode of A Leg Up will feature an interview with Mr. Ron Meyer, the vice chairman of Universal Studios and the founder of Creative Artists Agency. Thanks again for tuning in. Special thanks to Aaron McClaskey for the original score. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at, at Adam Faze to get the latest updates on A Leg Up. Cheers. <laughs>